lot of that slideshow revolved around me, <laughs> which was a little biased because my mother-in-law did make it, but um, it was so nice last Sunday, um, or really even Saturday, I was panicking uh, because I was just, I felt awful, and I, I had my sermon ready, and I've been working and planning all week, and I just couldn't do it. Um, my voice was gone, I had a high fever, and I just, I want you guys to know just what a blessing it is to me um, as a young pastor just to know that this whole thing doesn't depend on me. Um, God is in control of this church and he's taking care of us and he has blessed us with men like Adam and James and Harrison and Pastor Steve Odom and Stephen and all sorts of folks who if, if I just kick the bucket tomorrow, if I get drafted tomorrow, you know, there would be men who could take care of the position. Um, so I'm privileged to be here, I'm honored to be here, and I'm super excited to get back into the book of Colossians. So let's get going with that. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. We're going to be starting back in Colossians 3. Um, just as a recap, as we return to Colossians, you need to remember that Paul, the author of this letter, was in prison during the time that he wrote it. Uh, its creation was spurred by a visit from Epaphras, a man who learned the gospel from Paul first and then went back to his own town in Colossae and started this church. Um, Paul wrote to the Colossians about several things. He encouraged them on their walk. He affirmed their belief in Christ. And we read, uh, you know, in chapter 1, Paul's prayer, thanking God for these saints, for their faithfulness, for the love for, that they have for one another, um, and that they would grow in Christ. He then wrote a poem or a hymn exalting Christ, expressing his power and his glory and affirming that he was Christ, the Messiah, both God and man, full of both power and purpose for his people. Um, he affirmed what he did for humanity in paying our debt of sin and giving us a new life in him, in Christ, a theme that occurs over and over and we'll re revisit today. Um, that new life in Christ, it comes with benefits of security and purpose and growth. And he wrote about God's desire to have his servants be his servants, to become more mature in him, to see them raised up, to see them going and living and giving the gospel to other people, giving this new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through what Christ had done through his message. And Paul also set an example for what that should look like in his suffering for God's sake and not for his own. Um, he then spoke out against the social pressures, the religious persecution, uh, the false doctrines of things like legalism and mysticism and ritualism, uh, which we've talked about, just warning them not to depend on the things of this world, not to depend on the things of man, but on Christ alone. These false teachers and these false doctrines were dangerous then, just as they are today, because the enemy uses them to distract and distort and destroy our understanding of who God is, of who Christ is, and our faith in him. So this morning we come to Colossians 3, in which Paul begins a series of practical encouragements, directing believers on how to live a life that will transform them into becoming more like Christ in both action and mind. Paul was already, uh, he already set down some solid theology in the first two books, giving those at Colossae and us at New Union today all the knowledge and understanding necessary to know who Christ is, to give our lives to him, to be given life by him. And so now in chapter three, he begins to lay the foundation for how we are to now use that life to live it successfully and, and fruitfully and pleasing to the Lord. 
So follow along with me as I read in Colossians uh, chapter one, verses one through, or chapter three, verses one through four. And I want to make a point here, real quick. It's that time of year where uh, many of us are going to be starting our our yearly routine of reading through the Bible. Some of you are on a three-year plan. Some of you are on a one-year plan. And so often, this is kind of how we read when we're reading through. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. He did at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then you like feed your dog and drink your coffee and go about your day. (laughs) Right? And that's not how we should treat his word. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And if you read through this like I did the first time, You think, well, is that it? Is that all the scripture we're going to be covering today? It'll be a quick service. But that's not how we're supposed to look at it. We often think, even sometimes when I approach a piece of the text, when I'm getting ready to preach on it, it's so much smaller in our understanding than in how God intends for it to be. Um, Sometimes what God has sitting right there in front of us, what he's offering us, it may be a plan for your life, it may be an opportunity, whatever it may be, it's how we just see it as so much less than it actually is. This text is so deep, it may look like a puddle, but we could drown in it. We could be here for four hours. We won't, but we could. And so I just want you to think about in any aspect of your life, when you come to God and you just see a little, I just pray that you will take the time to just let him overwhelm you with how much he really has to offer you. It may seem like a loaf of bread, but it could feed 5,000. It may seem like just four little verses, but this could give you a hope and a purpose and sustain you. It could verify what he has done for you in your past, what he's doing for you now in the present, and give you a hope and something to look forward to for the future. Also giving you a new mindset and a new purpose and new ways for your feet to walk practically through this life. So these verses lay a foundation for successful Christian living by pointing out the consequences, really, of being raised with Christ. Because of that, we seek what is above where he is. We think about what is above, have our lives hidden with him, and we will share in his future glory. Paul is expressing how our lives in Christ will affect what we seek, what we think, our security, and our future. So let us begin. Uh, Colossians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul begins this passage with the statement, if you have been raised up with Christ, Paul is not questioning whether or not they have been raised with Christ. The grammar here is pointing towards an affirmation of that condition. He is speaking to the believers in Colossae, and his message ring true for us today as well. What exactly is Paul referring to when he is saying that they've been raised up with Christ? This is a continuing the same point that Paul made in Colossians 2.20. 
um, as we read here, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to the regulations? Um, it's our identification with Jesus' death, with his burial, and with his resurrection. Just as we died with Christ, we also were raised up with him. This has been a theme throughout this letter because it is at the heart of the gospel. God delivered us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son through the redemption and forgiveness of sins. That was in chapter 1. And that, uh, that come by has happened because of his reconciling us to the Lord through the death of his fleshly body. We read that again in chapter uh, 1, verse um, 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in minds expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. It also says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Listen, the person you used to be, all that to just say, the person you used to be is dead. They were crucified with Christ so that now you are free from the bondage of sin, Satan, and the world. Yes, you still live in a body of flesh and we still live in this world and we're still going to struggle with sin, with our old self, with our old habits, and so on. But the good news is, is that our sin, this world, our flesh, they are no longer our masters. We have been forgiven and we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. So there is also the identification here of being raised up with Jesus, which Paul points out. As Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 2.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. If you have become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are something other than what you used to be. Your spirit has been regenerated so that you are now alive to God and are to walk in the newness of that life worthy of him. This is so radical. That's why we use the term conversion to describe it. It's a complete change. You are converted from an enemy of God into an adopted child. So how does this affect us in our day-to-day -day life? because we are raised up with Christ to walk in the newness of that life, then there needs to be changes in our purposes in our life, the way we think, the nature of our life and its future destiny. And so the radical change that began at conversion, it continues today, still, still in verse one. So since believers are raised up with Christ, the first thing Paul instructs is, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Intentionally and grammatically, this is a command, not a suggestion. It is also in the present tense meaning, it is an ongoing quest and not something to be done once or not something that's gonna happen in the future. It means that we are commanded to constantly be seeking the things above. Your new life has new purpose, completely different than before conversion because you were once sought, uh, where you once sought your own desires, where you once followed your own heart, your own will, what you wanted, what you felt you needed, your will, direction, pursuing, striving for the things of this world. Maybe that was money, maybe that was respect, maybe it was comfort. Now, instead, you are supposed to be constantly seeking the things above where Christ is. So we know that the things above are heavenly things because Paul relates it to where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
So then, what exactly does it mean to pursue these things above since we are still here on this earth? Jesus spoke on, to this issue in the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in, upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the purpose of our existence is beyond what is offered in this world, which at best is only temporary. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the pursuit of what the world defines as success, what it defines as life. That could be wealth and fame and power, pleasure, comfort, but all of those things are fleeting. Solomon makes a point throughout Ecclesiastes that pursuit of such things is just vanity. It's an empty chasing after the wind. If you gain wealth, others will take it from you. It's called taxes. That time of year is coming up. And even if you keep all your wealth to the end of your life, if you bury it in your backyard, when you die, it will stay there or it will be wasted by one of your descendants. You'll leave it behind. If you gain fame, people will eventually forget and they won't care. Um, I was helping my mom clean out some stuff in the basement and we came across my trophy box which, to my credit, is quite a large trophy box. <laughs> my three-year-old was very impressed. She said, wow, why do you have so many trophies? I was like, your daddy used to be good at sports. <laughs> used to be. And there's a big box, and you know, there's medals of all different colors. Like, let's be humble here. A lot of them were bronze. They're not a lot of gold. But I still had a bronze, right? But that big box, we just, I, we chucked it. Hallelujah. <laughs> There's no point. There's, it has no value. And the same thing, not just because of who I am, but the same thing goes for Olympic gold medals or Super Bowl rings or anything like that. They're all going to fade away. People are going to forget. No one remembers who won Super Bowl 15 unless that's just kind of your thing. You know what I mean? People don't care. It doesn't last. If you gain power, others will strive to take it from you, or you will leave it to someone else when you die. Um, pleasure, comfort, insert your own thing here, whatever that may be, whether it be, you know, they say that boys, um, they don't grow up, they just buy more expensive toys, right? Like, those things are going to rust, they're going to fall away, they're going to go away, they're all fleeting, and they do not sustain us or give our life purpose or sustenance, but we spend our whole lives pursuing them. Seeking the things of heaven means seeking that which is eternal. Which are these things? And this is what we have here. God, his son, his spirit, his word, and what else? Oh yeah, his people. Whether they know him or not, we are to be seeking, pursuing them and him above everything else in this world because people and God are the only things that will last eternally. Practically, that means that the efforts for our new life should be spent on growing closer to him. How can we do that? Practically, through prayer, through worship, through studying his word. And that means that practically, the efforts of our new life, your time here on earth that isn't used seeking him, should be spent seeking his people. Those that know him in a relationship like family, through fellowship, with discipleship, helping each other to mature and grow and become the people that he has called us to be, but also for those that do not know him, 
through evangelism, through ministering to them, whatever their needs may be, physical, spiritual, so all to the point, all to the purpose of bringing them to know Christ. Last year we gave away like right under, was a, like right under 5,000 pounds of groceries. Praise God. I hope that helped all the communities in this family that we could reach. But 12 people accepted Christ, and that's what matters, not the food. We do that ministry so that we can share the love of Christ. Because even if they starve on this earth, if they know Christ, they will live an eternal life with him in heaven. And that's what we need to be focusing on. So that's it. That's what we should be seeking. That's what we should be pursuing, striving for here now with our life, with our time, with our breath that he gives us and blesses us with each and every day. It's all his, and it should all be for him and for his purposes. And that sounds grand, and that sounds lofty, and that sounds like something you want to get up in church and just say, yes, yes, sir, amen, absolutely. But here's where you can try to bring it all back down to earth, because that all sounds great. But we still have bills to pay, and we still have mouths to feed, and there's stuff right here in front of my face, whether it's sickness or problems or things of this world, that I have to deal with to live. You have to take care of these things right here in front of you on this earth, even though you're seeking the things above. But Christ, in his fullness and his goodness, he speaks to that as well. We read again in Matthew 6, Jesus went on on the Sermon on the Mount to command that we are not to be anxious about the things of this world. Our lives, what we are to eat, what we're to drink, what we're to put on. Instead, we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This is also what it means to pursue the things above. God does not want us to be preoccupied with how to gain the stuff of daily life. He wants us to be preoccupied with him. And so his promise to us is that he will provide the daily stuff of our life if we will just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So do you trust God to do that? Ask yourself, do you trust God enough to do that? You know, one of my biggest things when I was in college, I, I've, and I've always struggled with this, I've always struggled trusting God with money. I just have. Grew up, mom did the best she could, gave us what she could, but like money was still always a thing. Like it was always a factor. And I always was like, you know, if I work hard enough, if I do enough, if I do this, I'll be comfortable, I'll ha we'll have the money we need. Like, and that pressure became even more real like when I got married and so on and so forth. But God has always provided. <laughs> One time, I might have told this story before, I felt, I was at First Baptist, I, was, I had to go on an uh, international trip to graduate from Shorter University, I had to. It was part of the requirement. So the trip that year was Israel, um, it was gonna be like, four grand or something like that. It was gonna be a lot of money. And I didn't have it, I was raising support, I was working for it, so on and so forth. But um, I was sitting there and I was just like, I knew I had a 20 in my wallet and I was at church and God just convicted me so hard. He was like, you need to tithe today. You've got to tithe. I said, okay. So I took that bill and I just threw it in the plate and I just let go. <laughs> what I didn't know is that, and what I got very upset about later is that when I went home, my mom was like, hey, did you find that present that I gave you? I said, what present? She said, I slipped 100 in your wallet earlier today. I said, you did? 
I said, it's not in there anymore. Because <laughs> I gave it to the church. But I ended up being granted um, almost the full sum for me to go on that trip by that church. And they had no idea how much I tithe. It was just God providing. And that's really cool. And I'm not saying that if you put a thousand, uh, you know, a hundred bucks in our plate, you're going to get a couple thousand back. I'm not saying that. You could try it. <laughs> but might not happen. I'm just saying that for me personally, if I'm just honest with you, that has always been a struggle, and yet God will always provide. And so maybe that's your thing too, is letting go of the things of this world, trusting him in your finances. And, and I want to bring this all into perspective. Um, God does not want us to be preoccupied with the stuff of daily life, he wants us to be preoccupied with him. He'll take care of the rest. Who knows this better than anybody? That's our missionaries. Because that's what they have to do for the most part. Now, some of our missionaries are blessed. They're IMB. They get fully taken care of. But a lot of our missionaries, like the Rigdons, many others, they are not. And so what they have to do is they have to walk out in faith, pursuing what God has for them, trusting that he's going to send people, he's going to send the resources, the money, whatever their needs are, to fulfill that need. And they do that every single day. They live that way. And maybe that is what God is calling for us to do. Maybe that's what he's calling for you to do today, is to live your life like a missionary does, in both action and in purpose, and trust him to handle the everyday stuff as you pursue him and his people for him. And that doesn't mean you have to quit your current job. That doesn't mean we need to ship all of you overseas to all these different places. It just means that where you're at right now, you need to have a mindset change. Because where you're at right now might be where God has placed you to be, to make an impact for him, to be a light for Christ for him, to expand his kingdom there. It may be at your work, it may be at your school, it may be wherever you're planning to be, even in retirement. Maybe you're in this community to make a difference. So as we seek the things above, it's to put aside our worldly desires, our doubts, and just trust wholeheartedly in God so that we may pursue both him and his people unhindered, right? It is to set the goal of to live your life, to give your life to God and his glory instead of your own. Uh, it's to serve him in building his kingdom instead of trying to build up yours. So what are you living your life for? What are you seeking? What are you striving for? Just think about that today. Verse 2. It's very similar to the first verse, but it's got a couple different nuances. We're to think on what is above. So verse 2, Colossians chapter 3. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So in the next verse, Paul gives another command. Same grammatical pushing, same everything, which is related to the first, and is to set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. So if you set your goal in your life to seek the things above, then you must also set your mind on the things above and no longer have it set on the things of this earth. The commandment in verse 1 is related to your will, setting your will to choose to pursue what is related to God's kingdom. But this command in verse 2 is related to your rationality, to your focus, you must turn your mind away from dwelling on the things of this world and have it dwell on the things of God. This command is, again, it's a constant one. You must be continually setting your mind above 
since the enticements of your own desires, the temptations of this world, the attempts of our adversary, our enemy, to cause us to stumble, they're all ongoing. So we have to constantly, constantly be seeking and pursuing and turning our mind to what is above in order to get through this life as Christ would have us do. You must choose even on this day whom you will serve. So we, are all, we must all be intentional to control the direction of our thoughts. And this may seem daunting because it's hard. You can be sitting even in here in church and you're thinking about your oil change, you're thinking about what you're eating for lunch, you're thinking about probably something you shouldn't be thinking about. It just goes, it just goes. And if we're not careful, if we don't hone in our mind, then we're going to miss things that God has put right in front of us. So those who set their minds on the things of this earth, either actively or passively, they're in great danger. Uh, in Romans 8, 4 through 5, Paul warned that the mindset on the flesh will live according to the flesh, resulting in death. But the mindset on the spirit will live according to the spirit, resulting in life and peace. Paul wrote again in Romans 12, 1 through 2, that the mind is extremely important in the Christian life, for it is only as our minds are renewed, that he will give us a renewing of our minds. He will change us, change by God into greater godly thought patterns, greater replicas, uh, examples of Christ, more like him. That, that's how we're able to demonstrate, um, that's how we're able to resist this world and the temptations of it and to be more transformed wholly into living sacrifices. Um, so again, what is it that you set your minds on? Is it above? Is it eternal? Is it God? Is it Christ? Is it the Spirit, His Word? Is it His people? And though we are physically separated from that place, we have unlimited access to His Word, to His Spirit, to His people here on this earth, right now, right in front of us. And it's going to help us to renew our minds and make us more like Christ. So setting your mind on the things above will inevitably cause your mind to dwell on God's Word and its application in your life as directed by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important when you approach a text, when you approach the text at any time, whether it's your morning devotion, whether it's in your Bible studies on Wednesday night, whenever it is, it's not, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things. No, it's so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. An example uh, of how this just practically begins to change us. We read a couple weeks ago in Philippians 4 when I was preaching on uh, Christ's role as the Prince of Peace. And it said in that verse, um, how as you set your mind to dwell on those things that are true, that are honorable, that are just and pure and lovely, of good report, uh, virtuous, praiseworthy, and as you practice them, so as you dwell on them and as you practice them, you gain the presence of God's peace. And so dwelling on doing these things results in peace as God promises. This is God showing us that from where your mind and thoughts are, your actions will flow. Your actions will come and they will overflow. Where the head leads, the body will follow. So to be heavenly minded is to understand the truths and the values of heaven and put them into practice here on this earth. So you have to get your mind right or else you will never be able to pursue God and his people as he has commanded for us to do. So where do you let your mind dwell? Consider that this week as you reflect. In verse 3, as we move on, 
In verse 3, Paul brings out again our position. Uh, he reads in chapter 3, uh, chapter three verse 3, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died. Paul once again refers to the believer's identification in Jesus' death. Here he puts it simply, you died. And what you were is dead. But Paul quickly points out that we now have a life that is hidden with Christ in God. So here he's talking about in this verse and in, chapter, in the next verse in verse 4, he's talking about our past, our present, and our future, right? What is our past as believers now? You died. We talked about that earlier in the sermon. You are not the same. Who you were has been put to death. And though you may still cling on to those filthy rags, though you may still cling on to those bad habits, those bad practices, those things that separated you from God as sin, but now even if you have Jesus and cannot be separated from God, you still cling to this garbage like it's still a part of who you are. No, you died. You are new. You have been raised with Christ. Not only that, you are hidden in Christ, which means all that filth, all that stuff. Uh, there's a couple ways it can be translated here. It can be viewed as God no longer sees any of that, which we know is true. He doesn't remember our sins anymore because of what Christ has done for us. If you put your faith in him, he will not remember your sins. He will not hold them against you. You are washed clean every single day, and they are hidden in him. That's one way to look at it right there. But you died, so why still live like that dead man when you have been given a new chance, a new life, a new opportunity? One thing that I just want to point out before we go any further is that so often we allow ourselves and we allow Christians around us, whether it be our kids or the youth or whoever, to even after they come to know Christ, we still allow them as a church to live the same, to pursue the same things instead of pursuing what is above. Um, I spent, you know, talk about all this trophy, spent a lot of my life pursuing what? Just being in sports, having a good time. Yes, there are practical things that I learned from that. There are teamwork, all that stuff, all the things you want to throw out there. But are you also teaching your child all that effort you're encouraging them to put into sports? Are you encouraging them to put that into their faith? to build their faith, to build their knowledge of Christ. You'll take your son out or whatever. You'll take your son out, teach him how to swing a golf club, teach him how to throw a football. But are you teaching them how to read and study God's word so that they don't just go, so if you've been raised with Christ? Where are your intentions with those around you? Now, it's easy to pick on parents. I'm a parent. I'm going to do a bad job at it. I'm going to do the best I can, though. Right? God help me. Right? Two daughters. I'm in trouble. But... It's easy to pick on parents, but each of us has a responsibility, not just to our families, but as a Christian family to one another. That's the purpose of the church, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, and to keep one another accountable. And so if you know someone who spends their life chasing the things of this world, whether it be a hobby or a job or whatever, you have to step in because there is only so much time that we are given and it can be used for God, or realistically, there's only other one side where it's used against him, and it's wasted. Do not waste your life. If John Piper, if many of you know him, if he was up here right now, he'd be screaming something about seashells. You know what I mean? Don't waste your life collecting seashells, right? Waste your life on, spend your life on the things that are important. I know that's a tangent, but we'll get right back into it. Um, so you see, 
in a similar way to our righteousness. We have died, and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And a part of that hiddenness is that our spiritual fulfillment, yes, like I've been made sinless, but I still live in this physical form, this fleshly, earthly, broken body that still is capable of sin. One day, as we read in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. On that day, I will no longer be in this fleshy, sinful, broken self. I will then be fully restored, fully justified, incapable of sin, glorified, just as Christ is glorified, standing there with him, right? And that's the same for every single one of you. Right now, as we are, still not perfect, and this can cause some complications because we go out into the world, we tell people about all that Christ has done for us, we tell them about how he's changed us, but the reality is we still look pretty bad. We still fall short. We still make mistakes. We still say the wrong things, do the wrong things. It happens. We all sin. We all fall short. They don't know how good God is and the grace that he shows. So really, we just end up looking like a bunch of hypocrites. And so that's the one downside of our life being hidden in Christ, is that the fullness of it, the fact that even though I'm going to mess up today, and I'm going to mess up tomorrow, even though I know that that's not going to matter because Christ has covered me with his blood now and forever, that he will never leave me nor forsake me, I can still shine a bad light on what it means to be a Christian. You can too. And so that's why it's so important that we do everything that we can to glorify him to seek the things above, to keep our mind on the things above, trust him with the things that are going on around us in our daily life, and pursue people for him, and let him change their minds. So, there is a time coming when the fullness of the Christian life will be seen very plainly. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, Christ will return, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We will share in Christ's glory in his future, uh, in, our, in his future glory. Um, for when he appears, then we will also be revealed in our glory, in our splendor. And that's great. And that's why it's so important here. Our past, for you died. Our present, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, returns or appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And that's our future. So that is why, because of our past, our present, and our future, if that doesn't give you enough reason there to spend your life now seeking the things above with your mindset on the things above, then I don't know how it's to encourage you for what God has for you. Because as we were talking about earlier, sometimes we look at just something and we just see it as so small, but God has it as something so much greater David threw a rock and he became a king and that king is now recorded in a word of God, a holy word of God that is infallible, that will live on forever, that even now today brings people to know Christ, that will give them eternal life and that helps us to take it to other people to bring it on to eternal life. You look at some of these minor prophets, probably didn't think they were a big deal. They're still in here. God used them and God can use us in the same way today. They're not writing any new Bibles right now. If one comes out, don't buy it. It's not real. But Acts, the work that started in Acts, it's continuing. The gospel, the teachings that Christ had in the gospels and the four, they're still being taught. And so just hold on to this. 
seek its new purpose. Because even in this little book of Colossians, in two hours, that's what most standard movies are now, right? About two hours long. In two hours, if you just read at a normal pace, you could read through about half the, the New Testament. Now, it might be like I was reading about earlier, but you could still get through it. So what are you spending your time on? What are you focusing on? Is it on things of this earth? Is it on the things of heaven? And I know we've gone long, but let me f- conclude with this. What do you seek in life? Just write that down. Think about it this week. What are you seeking with your life? What are you setting your mind on? And that's easy for each of us to see because we can just look at the actions of our life. If our hearts, if our minds, if our new lives are not purposed towards him, it's going to be very apparent. If your hearts and minds are not purposed towards him, you might have trouble ever picking up your Bible during the week. You might have trouble wanting to come to church on Sundays or any of the events we have throughout the week, no matter how much we cook or throw parties or whatever, we try to make it enticing. If you're not coming for God, you're not coming at all, really. So what is your hope for the future, if that's how you feel? If your answer to those questions are not all bound up in Christ, if he's not your life, if he's not what your mind is set on, if he's not the hope for your future, then you do, don't be surprised at the lack of meaning in your life, the lack of fulfillment, the lack of purpose, and the lack of godliness within it. And it's time to repent and follow him, if that's the case. And if your life is wrapped up in him, seeking the things above, setting your mind on the things above, knowing that you have died, knowing that you are hidden in him, then please don't be discouraged by your everyday struggles. Please don't get distracted by the things of this world, these things that come up in our face that we have to deal with. Just trust in God, cling to Christ, and you can expect to see your life changed and continue to change and become more increasingly conformed to the image of our perfect and precious Savior. Terry, if you'll come up. I said a lot of stuff today. Um, and you know, it's so funny. When, uh, whenever you preach something, it's always, you always have to do it looking in a mirror. Um, it's like when you cook something, you always gotta taste your own cooking. And this sermon, maybe there's a reason I wasn't ready for it next Sunday. Maybe there's a reason God kept me out. Um, if you look at, you know, I was thinking about how hard this week has been, how distracted I've been, you know, the holidays and sickness and this and that, and all of us are dealing with the same things. I looked at my phone, and, you know, it sends updates. It was like 92% increase in screen time this week. I was like, I have not set my mind on the things above or the things that he would have. And so if you may feel convicted, I encourage you today, it wasn't me, submit to God because I know I do. If you have strayed away, just know that you have a welcoming God, a loving God who you can't run far enough from. This altar is open to you. If you just need to pray about something that's going on, whether it be someone in our church that's hurting like Miss Janet, whether it be someone in your own family, this altar is open to you. Come before the Lord, pray to him, open up that communication line and have that relationship that lasts for eternity.